Welcome to the DL. This is the show where we talk about everything in the truck and equipment repair industry. It's my job to help inform and educate you on ways to help your business. We talk with technicians, business owners, associations, industry experts, manufacturers, and even a few you wouldn't think traditionally apply to your business. Welcome to another episode of the DL. I am your host, Tyler Robertson, the CEO and founder of Diesel Laptops. This is the show I get to talk about my two favorite passions, entrepreneurship, and I get to talk about all things to do with truck repair. And we're going to talk about trailers today as well, which is an area I'm not actually that familiar with. So, you know, I happen to find someone, I think, who loves trailers more than I love trucks. So with, with all that said, I'm going to, I'm going to throw it over to you, to you, Matt, and just say welcome to the show, man. Thank you so much, Tyler. I am so excited to be here. Huge fan of what you guys are doing. I'm, I'm really uh, excited to be part of the podcast today. So Matt Leffler's here with V-Hub, which is a company you may not have heard about because they're they're essentially a startup. So Matt, why don't you just kind of explain, you know, what what is V-Hub? And we'll kind of get into the details here a little bit and, and talk about the problems you're trying to solve. Absolutely. So all across the, the North America, there are trailers that are sitting idle and these trailers aren't performing work. And when we have assets that sit idle, they're not being obviously utilized. So what our platform seeks to achieve is better trailer utilization. And how we drive better trailer utilization is sharing. So the big trends that we talk about in the industry are connected, autonomous, shared, and electric. Sharing is the part of the business that I'm working on. And that's how do we make trailers more easy to rent, utilize, and ultimately um, drive your fleet to be more uh, professional and better run. Yeah. So, I, I mean, you see all the sharing stuff, ride sharing. I, you know, I saw some ad on Facebook for like, share your driveway with motorhome owners. I, I've seen, you know, there's just sharing everywhere. Airbnb is essentially sharing a house, right? I mean, I haven't seen this, I guess, in this space. I, is there is there commercial truck sharing as well? Or is, is this a new thing so, in the industry? Absolutely. So this is a really good question is what we have is silos of data and all across the world, everybody has access to certain things, but without the ability to show the visibility of those things, they're kind of locked away. So most of the problems we see with, with transportation supply chain are coordination issues. How do you coordinate assets to become better utilized? So sharing is everywhere. Whether you're talking about Airbnb, like you mentioned, or you're talking about commercial vehicles, uh, that is the path that we see in terms of how we are going to drive value for our stakeholders. If you look at things like car sharing, like Toro is a great example, you don't want to have to own a thing to use it. And that's a very similar question you have with leasing and renting. You don't have to own something to derive value from it. And if we can make the renting and the leasing and the sharing of a commercial vehicle easier, we believe that we can make asset ownership something you don't necessarily have to do to run a modern fleet. So I got to imagine this is a fairly complex thing. So I look at like Toro, you said, I have a car, I'm in a city. It's probably someone in that city that's renting that that nice car to, to do whatever with for that period of time. But trailers have wheels and they, they go and trucks go all over the country, right? So so how do you, how do you, you know, I, I got my trailer here, but it goes to Albuquerque and then it needs, you know, like how, how does, how does all that work? There's gotta be some pretty complex stuff going on in the background there. What I, I was talking um, with your team before the call. And what I wanted to kind of mention is the problems that we have today aren't new problems. There are problems that have been around since the beginning of transportation. So one really easy to understand use case is trailer repositioning. 
So in the old days, my father was a roadway guy. He started in 76. And every January 1st, they would go outside and they would look and see how many trailers they had on their property. Their ratio for trucks to trailers was like one piece of power to seven to 10 trailers. Mm -hmm. And so what would happen is freight used to move a certain direction. It would come from the west, it would move east. And then you'd say, how do I get my trailers that are inconvenient and make them convenient again? And the ways you'd solve that are a couple of ways. You'd either have your own company driver go pick that, that trailer up, first bobtail to it, grab it and bring it back. That's an empty box. The other alternative is you pay a third party to do it. That's like an independent contractor, owner operator, go grab this trailer. The innovations in that space were, well, if I'm gonna grab the trailer, can I load it? Well, that's what we call a loadout. So if you can load out that trailer, now you're bringing the, the, the cost down a little bit. Some carriers would even throw their trailers on the back of a train and have the train bring it back to where it's convenient. So sharing assets has been around in our industry for 30 years. It's when you take an inconvenient asset, make it convenient. So when you talk about the, the challenge of how do you find a two-sided marketplace, a buyer and a seller, well, there's obviously fleets all across the country that have assets that are inconveniently located. And you have power-only companies that are looking for empty boxes. So if you can marry those two things through data, you can get a platform that, all, that ultimately begins to have this flywheel that starts moving. So trailers are where we start. It's a, understanding a problem that is pretty easy to, to digest. A trailer before COVID and before this environment of not having enough parts is like $35,000. Doesn't matter if it's a Great Dane, a Wabash, Hyundai, a Manac. These are all the same trailer component suppliers. They're all the same general repair instructions. It doesn't really change in terms of whether it's a nose rail for one trailer or another trailer. So we know really like how much is the risk of this thing being damaged by somebody. So we start with something we really easily understand and then find the use case, which is repositioning. And the next level of the repositioning is what we call the asset sharing. It's I don't want to have this trailer for the next month and a half. I don't want it to sit at this yard. I will put it up for short-term rental. So with our platform, we can take something that is an idle asset and turn that into revenue. And that revenue um, is something that is new revenue. It's something that a, a company that didn't rent or lease things before now has the ability to do that activity. It, just talking about the platform specifically, our average rental is 45 days. So someone comes on, they use the trailer for a period of time, they take it in and they're all done. So do they have to drop it back off where they got it from or do they just, is it another location? How, do, how does that logistics work in that scenario? It's fascinating. The, um, the biggest thing we've seen over the past 10 years is that every single driver has a supercomputer in their pocket. And that supercomputer can do all sorts of interesting work. So when you start off and you have it right with you, I mean, that's, it's ubiquitous to what we do. And so the trailer uh, application that we have is when you check out the trailer, we call it um, activation. You do a visual inspection of the asset. You look at all of the pieces of the sides. You look at the front, you look inside of it to show the damage or anything that's existing. When you turn that asset in, same thing. Now with repositioning, where you turn that thing in at is the destination it's supposed to go to. So you might tell an owner operator or a carrier, hey, I don't care what you do with this over the next two weeks, but it's gotta be here in two weeks. And if you don't get it here in two weeks, we're gonna convert that into a short-term rental. You're gonna start paying me for having that asset too long. On the rental side, we're very flexible. You can tell us really as an asset owner, 
where you want that trailer to end up when it's all said and done. So a repositioning could actually be a three month short term rental that gets converted into a repositioning for peak season. So we try to give the asset owners and the asset movers the flexibility to get the goal that they want, which is make that inconvenient asset more convenient. Yeah, so you mentioned that supercomputer in your pocket, and you're absolutely right, because we, we're taking the same angle on the, on the diagnostic side, because it's like, okay, look, everyone has a, a, that supercomputer in their pocket, that Android or iOS device. You know, we just made our little dongle tool that now plugs into the truck, and all of a sudden, that person at the truck, um, you know, today it's, you know, read fault codes, tell you what to fix them. We're attaching part numbers to failed codes, and soon people will be able to do diagnostics. So it's just amazing how technology is enabling all these all these things to to come to light and to happen um Absolutely. so yeah but the, I, go ahead well, go ahead well i was gonna say what i love about that analogy is when 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 people had smartphones i mean i ran shops for a few years and so we had about uh let's say six shops across the united states and every mechanic would have that cell phone with them and you start trying to think Obviously, it's a safety issue. We don't want them to be distracted. It's a productivity issue. We don't want them to get uh, not as productive on the assets. And it would you'd say, okay, take the cell phone, lock it in your toolbox, or take your cell phone, lock it in your locker in, in the break room. But what we've seen is that people like you and the innovators that are out there are saying, well, if they want to have it, let's make it useful for what they're doing. And if you can take a cell phone and make a technician more productive or a parts department more productive, there's not a single shop owner in the world who say, I don't want that cell phone in here. I don't want more money. I don't want more efficiency. We do it the old way. So we, we see that path of the reluctance of adopting electronic work orders is a good example. Papers, what everything is based off of. But we have innovators that are saying, does it have to be? And if they ask that question, you can find the use case. And that's what I love about this innovation that we're seeing. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. Our, our little tool, you know, under $300 tool, we can go from fault code to fix in less than three minutes on a, on a mobile device. And I can't do that with some of our $10,000 tools. So it, it, the, the, the whole, everything's changing quick, which is, which is great. I love it because it's all about improving efficiency in the whole marketplace. Um, one of the things I wanted to touch about is, is just kind of like the market size here. So I know commercial trucks, there's about 9 million of those in the road. And I, I know that all of them have trailers. Some are just trucks with equipment on them. Um, and then I know when, so there's, there's that size. I'm curious about that size, but the other part I'm curious about is I know last year was a really weird year because of COVID manufacturing shut yes. down. People stopped buying trucks for a bit. Then they started buying too many trucks. Um, and factories can't keep up and chip shortages and all these things. Um, but last year was actually the first year. There's actually less commercial trucks on the road than the years before. And that hasn't happened. I don't know ever when I looked at all the data. So like how many how many trailers are on the road and, and what impact did you guys kind of see from COVID and the trailer manufacturing side? What I, the, the main thesis of this is COVID was the great accelerator and COVID as the great accelerator showed us you can actually do more with less. So talking about trailers specifically, there's about 5 million that are bouncing around. Now the numbers kind of get skewed depending on if you call a chassis a trailer, but generally speaking, 5 million is a pretty safe number. Of those assets, every single year, around 350 to 370,000 or so are manufactured in North America. Due to COVID, the production of commercial trailers from all of the manufacturers was 111,000 fewer than the year before. And as we are sitting today trying to meet the customer demand, component suppliers are running out of material. In the port of Long Beach, you have boats that have been sitting there for weeks on end. Some of them have the, the pieces that we need to get these trailers moving. The other piece that's really interesting of that 5 million segment 
very few are connected to some sort of device, less than you would expect. The numbers that come around are anywhere from 20 to 30% have some form of telematics device. Now those telematics devices aren't exactly what you'd see on the truck side. For example, the telematics are usually giving you two pings a day as to where that asset is. Now, if you look at that example from roadway years ago, trying to find your trailers, two pings a day is amazing. It's incredible that I can find out where my box is, but there's so much more to find out. And because we have a shorter supply of assets today, what we can find is how do you drive utilization? So if you can't make more, how do you make them better? And better trailer utilization is derived around data and connected systems. So I've always wondered this. I, I see, you know, headlines, such and such company going bankrupt, drivers field cards shut off, and come, trucking companies just fold and their drivers are all over the country, right? Um, and then some of these companies, I can't even imagine how many trailers like a JB Hunt has or one of these one of these big guys. How often do trucking companies, how often do these guys just lose a trailer and be like, we have no idea where this thing is? Does, it, does that happen or is it, is it so are they tracked fairly losing, well now? Losing trailers is not as common as it used to be. That's the, kind of the beginning place. But just because you know where the trailer is doesn't mean you control the trailer. And that's a really big piece to understand. When a trailer is bouncing around different borders or throughout North America, uh, these, these trailers can get smashed up. They can get uh, moved in a direction you can't actually get back. So as the challenge goes of losing trailers, not as much as it used to be. I would say most of the larger carriers, and you use J.B. Hunt's a good example. Um, I think last I saw, they have well over 100,000 trailing assets. If you count their containers, which are the big boxes that go on top of the chassis, you can easily get into the 200,000 range. So they will lose things like containers because a container isn't really, and I wouldn't say JB loses, I'm saying just generally a container can be lost because they're not connected to any device that can tell you where it is. In terms of the trailers that have some sort of tracking device, you don't necessarily lose them anymore. What you do have happen is, uh, as you know, mechanics, like you get a brand new trailer that pulls up into a, a warehouse and you're like, why is this subframe 20 years old? Because you can just pull those pins and put a new uh, subframe under there and you're done. Like So the bigger challenge for the trailer companies today is uh, theft that happens when people are trying to get inside that box or people stealing components like tires or subframes in, in some cases. So I know tracking on trucks is is fairly easy because we have a constant power supply and an engine that makes power, right? So we can keep things powered up. How do they do it on trailers? Because there's no, are they putting extra battery packs in these things or is it just need the trailers, trucks to be hooked up? How do they, how do they power up electronics through the tracking when these things are just sitting around? I love the innovation the trucks have brought and the trucks innovation has, has kind of started to go into the trailers. So the very first thing to understand is how have batteries changed over the past 10 years? It's apparently a lot. And so what happens now for smart trailers is there's a few options you can do. One would be a, a, a solar powered device with a battery backup. Those are what you typically see on the front of that nose panel with a solar panel on the roof. Those are great if you don't have viaducts or trees nearby. If you have viaducts and trees nearby, those solar panels can get damaged. The other alternatives are hard wiring into the electrical system of the trailer. So an example is you can pull out a light, like a normal grody light that's in the back of a trailer and plug in a light with a GPS that's installed as, as part of that. And that can then take some of the passive, some of the power from the truck. And then when it's not plugged in, it would use the, the existing battery. There's a lot of innovation and things like seven ways. So a seven way is one of my favorite things to, to look at for a smart trailer because it's just taking out two bolts, putting a new thing in and you're off to the races. 
in some cases of other uh, existing devices is that you would tie into the seven way, but from inside the trailer. So you're pulling off all the ply liners, you're pulling off the nose scuff, and you're installing the wiring that gets you to the GPS. Not a great solution if someone smashes your nose inside the, the box. And as a maintenance and damage guy, that, that's what will happen. And then you'll have to understand you're going to peel off the plywood, put the wiring back up. So as we're looking at trailers being connected, the main ways you're getting power is from that truck with passive batteries that are able to continually charge up as they're being utilized or the solar panels. Uh, the solar panels, I think, will continue to be really, really useful, especially in over-the-road trucking. If you're into the really small city spaces, I don't know that they're a really great solution, but the things on the lights or things you can uh, magnetically attach on the subframe, there's a lot of solutions that are happening today. Tons of innovation. Yeah. So, you know, you mentioned smart trailers, and I guess I'd like to talk about that a little bit. And I, I, again, I'm, I'm just a dumb truck guy, and I'm, I'm learning a little bit about the trailer thing, and I'm, I'm learning a lot here from you. But, you know, the last I saw was, you know, there, there's, you look at a trailer, you got one company that makes the, the tires, another one makes the landing gear, another one makes the doors, another one makes the light, you know, there's all these different manufacturers. And it, it's kind of like a, a truck, right? You got a bunch of different manufacturers that go on there. So, so how are they, you know, with all these different companies that have their own technology to do these things, you know, how, how are, I guess, how is that all working? And can you talk about smart trailers a little bit to just kind of explain to the audience where it's at and, and kind of where it's going? Yeah. Smart trailers are the promise of taking the Internet of Things to a box. And the question about the box is really interesting because inside that box is everything. Everything that you want, everything that you care about is inside that box. If you're an Amazon or a FedEx or a UPS or a Walmart, that box inside of it is very, very important to you and all of your stakeholders. So how do you bring the Internet of Things to a $30,000 giant box. What we start off with, again, is looking at the silos of, of excellence. So every component supplier wants to be part of a smart trailer, whether that's a lift gate that says, hey, I'm going to count to cycles and every up and down we can drive a PM. The, the goal for smart trailers at the very initial level is to collect data, find out what we can learn from the utilization that actively happens. Secondarily, is to drive condition-based maintenance. On the truck side, this is a great analogy. If you are using a, a PM schedule based on mileage on your truck and you're a city truck, probably a dumb idea. Uh, probably better to go with engine hours. Probably better to understand how that asset is actually working. Same with the spotting truck. I love spotting trucks. If you go by mileage and you say, after 1,000 miles, we're going to PM this thing, might be a year before you do that. But if you say, let's go every 250 engine hours, that might be every two weeks. So the first thing that smart trailers are bringing to the table is condition-based maintenance. When do you need to touch that asset before it fails? And the best way to do that in trailers today has predominantly been on time intervals. Let's say every six months, every three months, every nine months, but that is not data-driven. That is based on, we generally find value here. The future of smart trailers is more. So for my platform, for VHub, we're taking smart devices and using that to drive um, uh, variable pricing. So imagine like you have an engine hour, you have a mileage fee, all of those things. The way that you calculate mileage fees today for trailers is a hub odometer, which is a device that's inserted on the wheel end that tells you how many miles it's gone. Well, that's great if you want to have some human being walk out, take a picture, record the numbers, be accurate, and then transmit that back to the person who's going to bill it. If you can take out the manual steps, you save people time. And the 
best thing about technology is you can buy time. Now, the, the, the future state of smart trailers is like what you mentioned with the trucks, active fault codes, making sure that when something is going wrong, the tire pressure monitoring sensor throws a code, whatever, um, or the light is broken before a driver gets there. These are really interesting use cases. We're not there yet. There's a lot of technology that's slowly getting adoption. It, it is driving that um, actual, hey, this trailer has a fault code that needs to be resolved but it's still not quite as, as advanced as the truck side. So I think we're still a little ways away from that. Yeah, it's funny because we're all like truck, 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 truck over here. Someone asked us a question about a trailer. We're like, what? <laughs> like we, we, we know nothing, <laughs> right? So we're actually we're actually getting to be good friends with the guys over at Light Check. They got a lot of the great trailer diagnostic stuff and uh, we're, we're excited to you know learn more about the whole trailer, the trailer space. But let's, let's go back to V-Hub for a minute. Um, so at the top of this, we kind of said, hey, you guys are a startup. You know, where, where are you guys at? Do you, is the product out there? Do you have customers? Can people use you guys? Kind of give us a, an idea of where you're at and, and kind of, you know, what are the next steps? Absolutely. So what we have on the platform today, I mean, we've been in, uh, we've been around for two years. We've been in the United States for one year. As of today, we have over 450 users. We have over 70,000 trailers that are actively on the platform. And we are growing at a remarkable rate of growing revenue and growing our customer base. As a startup, there's really two things we really we focus on. One is marketplace liquidity. When we have a, a, an asset that's posted, how fast does someone grab it and use it? And we find that is increasing every single day. So what we know, again, when we talk about those trends and forces in the industry, the trends and forces don't change. It's the people who can predict where it's going to be that are gonna be successful. And so with VHub, we are understanding that trailer utilization is a challenge for everybody. Without manufacturers producing enough, there has to be more ways to better utilize those trailers. We look at uh, a very interesting case today with the US Postal Service. They rent about, or lease, about 10,000 trailers from a, a large trailer leasing company. And of those trailers that they lease, they're spending over $400,000 a month in trailers that are sitting idle. These trailers are, if they're sitting for more than 30 days without being moved, they're not producing value for anybody. So what we're finding on our side is that organizations are looking to find new ways to locate the assets that they need. And the traditional sources are still useful, but there's new ways to find what you need. And that's what makes it so exciting to be part of the startup culture that's agile, nimble, and learning a ton of things from the people we work with. So you have a two-sided marketplace. You got people that have excess trailers, people that need trailers. Are, are you looking for both at this point? And if you are, how do they how do they engage with you guys to, to actually get involved with this? Absolutely. So the, the easiest way is to download the app. We have an app that's in uh, the Apple's uh, in Apple's place, and we have someone in Google. You can also go to our website, which is vhubapp.com. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. We would love to talk to you about how we can help you solve your problems with trailers. And ultimately, the the market is so hot. We're also looking to find people that are looking to sell their assets because if we're trying to defleet somebody, help them get away from the, the long-term payments they have, there is so much money to be captured with taking assets that you used to run and turning them into rental assets for short or long-term periods. 
All right. So is this a self-serve thing that people can just do all through the app or do they have to sign a contract and, and do things with you guys? Or how does how does the process it, work for them? It's all self-serve. You don't pay anything unless you find value. So our revenue model is based on the transaction level. So it, we try to find a way to tie our value proposition as closely with that as possible. There are contracts for us. There's a master lease agreement that has both parties, the, the renter and the and the one who actually owns the asset. Uh, they're, they're, you can look at them online. We are in the process of, of always... Uh, finding ways to become more useful. So if companies have their own commercial paper for doing these transactions, we'll be able to support those. But as of today, you go to our website, you can look at all of the different terms and conditions, and that gives you a self-serve model. Yeah, and from our conversations before this, it sounded like you have some integrations as well into your platform. Absolutely, this is what makes me so excited about the way technology works today. Focus on your core competency. And when you lack the core competency in something you don't necessarily understand, you find partners that are best in class to integrate with. So as I mentioned before, we're an open modular platform. Almost any type of system, whether it's a, a dealer management system or a, a transportation management system, a telematic system, we can integrate with those. But what I'm really excited about, and you kind of teed me up pretty well, is the recent integration we have with a group called Servicase. And Servicase is a network of vendors that are on the tire side, the towing side, heavy duty, medium duty, and light duty repairs. And from the touch of a button, you can find vendors in your area all across North America. Why would you trust Google or Bing or someone else to tell you who the best vendor is in your area? Talk to professionals. Talk to the people that can give you the visibility of the vendors who can do the work you need them to do. The goal for us is to have, over, we have over 60,000 connected suppliers at this point that are part of uh, on, on our application. It's free to use for any fleet, any asset owner, any rental company. You just lo log into the application and you will find vendors anywhere you need to find them for getting things taken care of. Yeah, well, it sounds like we may need to incorporate some diesel laptops services into your platform as well. So I'm just gonna Absolutely. throw that out there. I 100% like the thing that I wanna help people do, and you're on, the, you're on the cutting edge here, is how do we make the lives of mechanics better? And what a mechanic wants to know is what is the asset, where is it at, and what's wrong? And then once they understand that, how do I find the parts? Yeah. That is the biggest, half the battle in heavy duty maintenance is understanding where are you gonna locate the part that you need? What part do you need to begin with? That is being solved by the technologies that you guys are putting out. And absolutely there's a path for some collaboration, which I'd love to do. Yeah, and I, you know, you, you, you said it exactly right because the model today is I got my vehicle, it breaks down, truck or trailer, dispatch or towed somewhere or brought somewhere, they diagnose in the shop, they they buy whatever parts. And usually as the, if your truck's there, you don't have a lot of say in what brands or what parts and pricing and all this, you're kind of hostage. And then the, the truck's fixed and it, and, it, and it goes. And if anyone's listening to this, the part I'm hoping they're taking away from this is the data's coming off of the vehicles as they're going down the road now. And, yes. and as that, that's a very important part that I don't think people understand how much that changes that whole process I just talked about, because now you don't need to actually dispatch someone to diagnose it. You know what's going on with it before they even get there. And if you can do that, it, it just, it, everything speeds up the process a lot. Most of the time, the problems that technology is trying to solve are coordination problems. And you've outlined it exactly how it works. The driver calls the shop manager or calls the service writer says, I got this fault code, what should I do? And say, like, okay, well, what truck do you have? If I have it in my system, I'll look it up and I'll find out something there. But most of the time it's just get it here. We'll take a look when it gets here. 
But to your point, these things are communicating information, and that information can be utilized to stage the bay, have the parts ready. I mean, why would you wait to have the truck arrive before you have the part on hand in the hands of the mechanic? We we talked about this uh, before, but there's not enough mechanics in North America, and we're having a problem every single day finding people that want to do this work. Well, if we can't necessarily make more mechanics, we can make more mechanics efficient. And efficiency is the name of the game for every single shop. So technology that drives efficiency is aligned with business owners that are looking to, to make maintenance easier. I love what you're doing. And we, as we find ways to break down these silos, we're going to make the experience of being a mechanic so much better. And if it's a better experience, we can recruit more people to do this trade that is so critically important. And same with truck drivers, for that matter. I mean, obviously, we have I think it's like 200,000 or more open positions for truck drivers, and it's the most common job in 35 states, and yet we still struggle to get people to understand there's a good life here. There's a good path to a great career in transportation and maintenance. Yeah, 100%. And you know, you hit that point about uh, the drivers. I had Tim Spurlock on here with American Diesel Training Centers, and you know, yeah. the, the stats he was giving us a couple months ago, but it was you know, essentially he's been tracking it for years, the number of open positions on Indeed. Like he's just looking at one platform. Yeah. And you talk about COVID being a great accelerator, definitely happened in diesel technician land because it went something from like, you know, 30,000 open jobs in the US just on Indeed. So that number is probably a magnitude higher to like 30,000 jobs or 80,000 yeah. jobs. You know, it just, it just ballooned all of a sudden and um, COVID changed a lot of things. And I think you're absolutely right on what you say. You know, people have diesel laptops, diesel diagnostic tools, and we're trying to be that pivot of, ah, oh, no, that's that's kind of it. It's more about providing efficiency solutions to the repair experience to help solve these problems. What I, what I love about this is we've spent 30 years telling people that if you drive a truck or if you turn a wrench, that's not a good career. Yeah. And we now are finding, like you mentioned, the, the folks at diesel training centers, like it's, it's amazing that we're trying to make this interesting and valuable and a good profession. What I love about what you're doing is you're making diesel repair sexy. You're making it exciting. It's a technology play. This is what makes people get out of bed and go, okay, how do I, I want to be an insurance adjuster? I'm telling you that job will not exist. That yeah. job will go away. Turning a wrench, you can't offshore it. You can't replace it with a robot. It is one of the most stable careers you're going to find and the ways that you find mean, i remember i had a, a, one of the big carriers out of and they were out in the quad cities they have a location out there they were trying to hire a day shift mechanic day shift 48 bucks an hour this is the world we live in yeah. you can go anywhere you want anywhere in the country have a job ready for you there are sign-on bonuses there are tool allowances there are so many things that get people excited about doing this profession and now that you can have your cell phone with you because you're becoming more efficient there's no reason not to do it yeah i mean you're 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 100 again 100 correct i mean we're, we're a lot of similars maybe you're like a relative lost mine or something here but <laughs> you know you look at it diesel technicians they can make a hundred thousand dollars a year working for somebody else and they can make more doing their doing their own thing so we've seen that shift as well for people like well i got i got i had to buy all my tools i don't like my boss i want to go do my own thing i'm going to go buy a mobile truck and now i'm in business for myself and i just saw a post from a guy on facebook he, he had to relocate to a new city. He had a mobile truck operation and he's like, well, you know what? I don't think it's gonna affect my life one bit because everywhere I go, trucks are breaking down and they need, they need work. And to, to that point, we, we talk about the technology solving these problems. So just like in the trucking industry, you have this bifurcation of massive organizations with 
thousands of drivers. And then you have the owner operators, the small flexible uh, business owners. That is happening with mechanics too. There is software, like you can look at Wrench or your mechanic, but there's many, many more that are in the pipeline that find a way to tie a need with the person who can support the need. A, yeah. a person with a maintenance event with someone who can solve the maintenance event. Your dance card as a mechanic could never be filled this easily as it is today. So you can go to all number of different direct customers or platforms that can help you find work and you can write your own ticket. Um, mechanics that work first shift, it's easy to do. Second shift, third shift, anything you wanna do, you can find the work that supports that and the customers that'll pay you for those things. Yeah, we've seen a flood of basically people in the mobile maintenance business, right? Or the mobile repair yes. breakdown business because they're just like, well, I'll, I'll do this. They sign up for services like Servicase and some of those other ones, and they just get flooded with phone calls and traffic, and they're, they're their own business all of a sudden. I have been a mobile fanatic for many years. Uh, mm -hmm. The idea that you could take the shop to the customer, it's the same idea, I think, that powered the Blockbuster and Netflix battle. Netflix could say, we can go to the customer. Blockbuster would say, we have the assortment. Come to us, we have the assortment. This is the experience. There's always going to be a customer segment that wants the shop brought to them. And if you are a trucking repair company and you don't offer mobile, the goal that I would ask everyone to think about is why? Is yeah. it because it's too hard? Is it because it's not your core business? That's fine. But you have to have an explanation for why you have decided not to help your customers in that space. I look at trailers as, as a great use case for mobile repair. I think it's probably fair to say that over half the repairs can be done with a mobile service truck. Heck, I was doing brake jobs and drums and, and, and all that on yeah. customer property, doing nose rails for crying out <laughs> loud. And the goal here is to help the customer achieve better utilization. Yeah. Bringing that vehicle to the shop requires, if you're not picking it up for them, requires them to bring their driver and then another driver to pick that driver up. And then you have empty miles. And these are called in the trucking industry, non-billable miles. Nobody wants non-billable miles. And so if you can bring the shop to the customer, that's why the, the, the growth of that has been so rapid. Uh, bringing the shop to the customer or to the customer's location is what you do for tire repairs and emergency roadside anyway. So if you're already capable of doing those things, why not do some PMs? Why not do some BIT inspections in California? Why not repair some lights or do some small repairs on airlines? Do these things and your customers will reward you. You know, you're hitting the, the nail again, right on the head, right? It's not it's not about you. It's about how do you solve your customers' problems? And that's what mobile maintenance does. It solves their problems of essentially time and money at the end of the day is what it does. So absolutely. Um, and I love that's what VHub's doing as well. So, you know, I guess, you know, with, with all of this said, um, if people really want to reach out again, I know you threw it out there again, but throw out your, your, whether it's your LinkedIn or the website, whatever it is, how do people get a hold of you or get a hold of, get a hold of VHub? So the best way to get a hold of me is through LinkedIn. I have made the conscious decision of only having one social media platform that I can understand. And I won't even say I understand LinkedIn. It's just, it's the one that I've gravitated towards and I've already sunk the cost, so that's just not going away. <laughs> uh, in terms of VHub, you can find us on Facebook, you can find us on uh, LinkedIn and Instagram, and then obviously through our website, vhubapp.com. If you want to reach out to me, follow me on LinkedIn. I'm happy to talk anybody, anytime maintenance, repair, asset utilization. How can we turn your idle assets into revenue? That's my goal, is making people find money where they didn't know they had it. Yeah, hey, and before we sign off, I just wanna add this too. LinkedIn, by far the greatest networking tool for business that has ever existed. 
I literally, Absolutely. I literally have millions of views and stuff, and I've, I've met thousands of people, and it's cost me zero dollars. So it's it's a great platform. I love the, the the fact that it's not anonymous. Like I like the idea that you know who the speaker is and you know who the recipient is. Like these are not hidden things, and that's the the part of visibility that I find so compelling. I I am who I am, and that is the place that it's most easy to kind of give my living uh, CV. That's everything that I've ever done, and that's why I, I, I'm the same way. I think it's very very interesting, and it's far better than the alternatives. Yep. Well, awesome having you on the show. And for all the listeners out there, again, we appreciate your time either watching or listening wherever podcasts are and on YouTube. And with this, we end every episode with saying it's not just diagnostics, it's diagnostics done right. And if you haven't listened and paid attention to this episode, it starts with trailers, trucks, and the world is changing quickly. So thank you again for coming on the show, Matt. My pleasure. Thank you so much.